and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host and the podfather of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And don't I sound much better than even just last week? 99% back to normal. And I'm glad you're with us. I'd bear the pain of Lenticonus if I saw that you missed this week's show. Here's our associate producer, Kate, with what's coming. Hey, Tony. We have financial literacy for your C-suite and board. Leadership that understands your numbers protects not only your nonprofit. It also protects the people filling those roles. Two finance and audit pros walk us through six key metrics that anyone can understand and that reveal the true state of your financial standing. Dean Dizel and Jerry Frick are from Veracity Pros. On Tony's Take Two. Oklahoma City, anyone? We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity? DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. DonorBox.org. And by Kila. Grow revenue, engage donors, and increase efficiency with Kila, the fundraiser's CRM. Visit Kila.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Kila to exceed their goals. Here is financial literacy for your C-suite and board. It's a pleasure to welcome Dean Dazelle and Jerry Frick to Nonprofit Radio. Dean has almost 30 years of leadership in administration, accounting, and finance across nonprofits and for-profits. He is also an outsourced CFO at Veracity Pros. Jerry Frick is a finance professional with extensive experience in financial reporting, analysis, forecasting, budgeting, cash management, grant administration, and we may as well throw in auditing and internal controls. Jerry is also an outsourced CFO at Veracity Pros. The firm is at veracitypros.com, and Dean and Jerry are both on LinkedIn. Dean Dizel, Jerry Frick, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be here. I'm glad you are. Uh, the first thing I think of is Dean and Jerry. Uh, Dean, Martin, Jerry, you got to take this show on the road, the Martin and Lewis show. Change your last names and start doing movies together. Duly noted. <laughs> I'm ready. Where's Where's the casting call? Absolutely, Martin and Lewis. They did They did dozens of movies together. Whatever. I don't know how many, but uh, there were theaters. You, know, you should take this show on the road as Martin and Lewis. We'll just have to figure out who the straight man is. <laughs> yes. Well, well, Dean, you'll have to you'll have to make that sacrifice. That's got to be you. Okay. Uh, you're gonna stay. You're gonna stay true to the to the uh, to the original team. Um, all right, so let's talk about some fiscal literacy, financial literacy, maybe for board members specifically, but you know, not necessarily. Could be for uninitiated or maybe unindoctrinated. I don't know. Uh, other C-suite folks besides CFOs, you you are both outsource CFOs, so you're you're seeing a a broad swath of nonprofits. Why do we all just why do we all just get hung up on numbers? Why why do we gloss over financial uh financial statements, even simple balance sheets, 
audits. Why, why, why do we, why do we all get scared and frozen by these? I think it's a great question, Tony. I, and it's a lot that we're trying to help in what we've seen and working with different organizations, especially C-suite and leadership and boards of different organi- nonprofit organizations is they see the numbers they gloss over and they are happy that they got numbers, but they don't necessarily know what they mean. <laughs> so they should, They uh, hopefully they're happy, but they don't even know if they ought to be happy. Exactly. And so it really gets down to their fiduciary responsibilities as a board, uh, you know, duty of loyalty, the duty of care, the, uh, the duty of obedience, but making sure they're fulfilling those uh, fiduciary duties. And, and what we've seen both working with Veracity Pros and in our prior life is, is that there's really an opportunity to help the boards. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, Jerry knows, can talk about this much more deeply than I can, but really help the boards uh, assess what's going on. Uh, address what's going on, act, and then when necessary, applaud. And that's really what we try to help leadership uh, folks and organizations do is how do you how do you take those numbers? How do you understand those numbers, understand what they're telling us, about where we are, where we're going, um, and how do we do that in an effective way instead of giving them reams and reams of uh, six-point fonts with tiny numbers and decimal points? Yeah, and... You know, and my my fear is that when it comes time to review financials, um, you know, it's sort of done like five minutes before the meeting starts. Yeah. People are flipping through flipping through pages, and you know that it, it, they don't make any sense. They're 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 definitely abrogating their duties to the organization. To your to your points, Dean, uh, yeah. you know they they and and to themselves. I mean, they they need to protect themselves as board members. Um, as well as the organization. And then, but it's also, as you mentioned, you know, it's also other, other C-suite leaders. I mean, they, it, it doesn't, we, we can't just all rely on the CFO to, to, we, we got to have some literacy amongst ourselves. No, is that, is that, is that true, Jerry? It's absolutely true what you're saying, Tony. And, and uh, unfortunately, it's all too common in nonprofit organizations that, the you know the the financial reporting is done by the CFO and quite often only understood by the CFO and that's really the broken link um, and, and it's really not you know when, when you think of, of board compositions of nonprofit organizations they go out and recruit board members who are going to identify with their mission and maybe have some specialties in in the mission area. A nonprofit is lucky if they get one board member who can understand financials. And so you're right about, you know, just how quickly they get glossed over. And, you know, the the board claps if they get a report, even though they don't understand it. (laughs) They don't have any idea what it's saying. And that's really the dilemma that that we are trying to overcome with our clients is, is we want to get them reports that are not just jumbles of numbers that make no sense. We want them to see something that they can connect to um, and and really understand the financial health of the organization. And also, how do those numbers connect to the mission delivery that that organization is trying to fulfill? All right, so so let's dive in. So how do we start to make this these statements, these numbers, uh, you know, less abstruse to people, more comprehensible. 
connect with them, Jerry, as you said, you know, how, how do we how, how do we start to break this down so that it's not just one person or maybe two in the entire organization, including the board that, that can make sense of these things? So I think you use the term that I would use to it's break it yeah. down. Yeah. Um, we've got to get away from thinking, you know, more data is better. Um, yeah. The data is there. The CFO is required to understand the data. And what everybody else needs to understand is what is the story that this data is telling us? So you have to break it down into, into the components that are really important. And, you know, when it comes to reporting those components to the board, uh, less is more, in my opinion. You know, so don't... It, my experience, and I know Dean has had this experience too. If you provide a board financial reports that just have columns and columns of numbers, you're inviting them individually or collectively to go down rabbit trails that are just going to waste time and accomplish nothing. So what you want to do is you want to summarize this information in in a much more readable fashion like a dashboard so, uh, a, a, a dashboard, dashboard for... is perfect we, we focus on dashboards and, and taking a balance sheet as you said and taking the income statement and and summarize the numbers down to you know something much more readable but then you you can't just stop there you've got to provide and this is what the cfo's job in probably the executive director or CEO's job is you've got to provide some analysis of what this is telling you. So that could involve narrative. It could involve charts and graphs, something more visual. And Dean, you want to speak to that a little bit too? All right. So we can go to the visual, but, but let's get to some key metrics because, uh, and, and maybe visualizations may help. I'm not dismissing that, but, and this is perfect because you, you two are, uh, talking to the guy who took uh, accounting for poets in in college. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, all I can remember is assets equal liabilities plus owners equity. I never understood how the two columns could come out to be equal. It just seemed like magic to me. It's, it seemed like a bunch of lies and magic. I don't know how the two numbers, the two columns, were supposed to always equal the come out to, to be the same. To me, they sound opposite: assets and liabilities. But you don't have to explain. You don't. You don't have to help me pass my college my college accounting course. But let, let's get to some like basic metrics. What 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 are some I don't know four or five key numbers or key trends? It's not a specific number that that leaders and board members need to track. Well, I, that's a it's a great question, and I think and you you hit the nail on the head, Tony. Is sometimes with some boards, it's even an educational process on what a balance sheet is, what are assets, what are liabilities, what are net assets, yeah. what are unrestricted net assets versus temporary restricted net assets, and then statement of activities and statement of cash flows. So we've even found before we even get to the ratios of doing an education and have it be a continuing education process for the boards just to help them read a financial statement at a very basic level, mind you, but but this helping them understand, you know, assets is what, what you own and liabilities is what you owe and net assets is what you're worth and sometimes just the principles of that. And then once they have 
that base education will start looking at things of like their current ratio, which is a pretty common, you take a look at your current assets against your current liabilities and assess where you're at. And typically we like to recommend to most organizations uh, that that current ratio be uh, be at least two, that you have at least $2 of current assets to, ev- to every dollar of current liabilities. That should give you at least some cushion, not a whole lot, mind you, but at least some cushion to whether uh, any changes uh, on a period-to-period basis is a great one. Okay, There's, okay. So that's, what would you call it, the current current ratio? Current ratio, yep. Assets to assets over liabilities. A current asset ratio of assets to liabilities. Current assets, current liabilities. And when I say current assets, any assets that um, that aren't held up like in buildings or, or any long-term investments or that type of thing, things that can be easily converted liquid, in the next- liquid. Yeah, have yeah. some, you know, like, like you can look, liquidate them within two weeks or a month or something like that. Yeah, in a time, not, not a building, but, but yeah. you know, I don't know. I can't think of an example, but uh, okay, something that yeah. you could, so that if your liabilities got worse, then because you're you you like to see a two to one, yeah. uh, uh, assets, liquid assets to to liabilities, at, right. as a minimum. As a minimum. As a minimum. Okay. Yeah. okay. And the current liabilities would be anything you have due in the next year. So that would be any, typically in your accounts payable, any bills you have due immediately. And then also if you have a mortgage, any any liabilities that you have over the next 12 months, or there, if you have a loan or other obligations that you have to others outside of your organization. And it's okay. really to, for the board to understand if you don't have a good current ratio, if you don't have at least that two to one, you know, what if it's one to one? Um, yeah. You know, really what what that is saying or what a board should interpret that to mean is we have no flexibility. You know, we all of our assets are now spoken for because of our liabilities. How do we operate this organization going forward? And how do we deliver any mission when we have no capability of investing any additional assets and programs? Yeah. Yeah, one to one sounds treacherous. It is treacherous, or less. I mean, it could could be less than one too. Oh, we've we've they, absolutely had experiences with organizations who are less than one, and it really can handcuff that organization from being able to sometimes even being able to operate for for the long term. I mean, that's when we start to get into have the conversation about. Can you sustain this? How long can you sustain this organization with this kind of financial picture? It's time for a break. Donor box. You've heard the testimonials. Easy setup, fast checkout, QR codes, simple for your donors, and incredible results. Like Uganda 1018's 70% increase in donations. If you're looking for a fast, flexible, and donor-friendly fundraising platform for your organization, check out DonorBox, donorbox.org. Now back to financial literacy for your C-suite and board. All right. So that's great. The current ratio sounds critical. What's what's another valuable benchmark for for leaders, leadership to, to be tracking? I think another Tommy one is days of, of calculating how many days of cash that you have on hand. And the reason I say timely is just in the matter of last week, 
uh, nonprofits who received federal funding were staring down the barrel of a federal government shutdown. Um, and so some nonprofits, either whether if they're government funded or even not government funded, if you lose a major funder or your, your pipeline of funds is stopped because Congress uh, is failing to act and approve a budget or approve continuing resolution, how many days of cash do you have on hand to continue those operations, to make payrolls, to pay your immediate bills? So that's, again, taking a look at your liquid cash or things that could be easily converted to cash and then taking a look at your expenses that you have and try and calculating an average daily expense. Average daily expense, right. Yep. Right. And so you take a look at your, your total cash, you take a look at your average daily expense, uh, and then you come up with a number. And typically, depending on the organization, for most government-funded nonprofit organizations, we typically like to see 30 to 90 days of cash on hand, meaning if there's all of a sudden a sudden stoppage, uh, they can continue for another one to three months for other nonprofit organizations, uh, we typically like to see up to 180 days, so up to a six month. It can sometimes be difficult for government funded because a lot of government funded organizations are reimbursement based. The like, government asks to spend the money and then you get the money back. But the, what, what, what instance would it be where you wanted it to be more like 180 versus 30? Well, again, I think that then again, this is a great opportunity for the board to really think about what are our sources of revenue? Mm -hmm. What are the risks of losing some source of revenue? And therefore, you know, if if the risks of a source of revenue either drying up or needing to change are high, then you would want to set a benchmark or a target for a greater number of days uh, of cash on hand. Okay. Or some, you know, some boards who want to you know, just be more prudent and look to a, an unknown future, they, they may just want to say, hey, we want to set aside six months of operating cash in a reserve fund so that if something does happen, we already have it. We don't have to worry. We, we can go on business as usual because we've created a rainy day fund if something has happened. But one thing I want to mention on this as well, Tony, is there are organizations, there are nonprofit organizations we've encountered who have too much mm -hmm. cash. And the risk there is if you are going out to donors, private foundations, corporations, individuals, and continuing to solicit contributions from them, and they want to look at your financial performance before they make a decision, if they see that the organization is sitting on a whole lot of cash, the obvious question they're going to ask is, why do you need my money? You got all this cash in the bank. Why should I give you anything? You know, so there's a danger on the flip side, too. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. So risk management, uh, but operational management as well. All right. What a current ratio, days of cash. I love these. You know, let Let's identify like half a dozen or something. What what's another? I'm not. It doesn't have to be six, but you know, some yeah. decent numbers so that so that people know. You know, well, here's here's the numbers that that this board wants to track on a quarterly basis. Absolutely. And, and we, so we want to see not just the current but the trend also. So if we, if we identify a problem with days of cash in uh, in Q1 of of 24, 
do we see a difference by Q2 or three? You know, are we improving? So what else, what else besides these two metrics? So another one that um, seldom gets looked at, but it needs to be looked at a lot more is what we would call fundraising efficiency. Mm -hmm. So really what that is looking at, it, it's, it's taking the total amount, you know, choose a period of time and how much money did you raise through contributions, you know, et cetera, in that period of time. And what did it cost you internally to raise that? So if you raised a million dollars in the last six months, that's great. What did you spend? If you spent a million dollars to raise a million dollars, you're not very efficient in your fundraising methods. So you really need to start to break that down and, and start finding out what are the different, you know, what are the different sources of revenue you're raising? How are you going about it? And, and break it down to what does it cost us to raise $1 of revenue? If it's, it's, if it's a dollar to dollar, something's not efficient, you know, yeah. you, and there are different metrics that you can measure against, you know, and it depends, you know, if you're doing a fundraising event, for example, that's one of the most costly types of fundraising that nonprofits engage in. Your the organization is lucky if it if it makes 15 cents on the dollar. In other words, it may cost 85 cents for every dollar raised in a fundraising event. Whereas though it takes longer, it takes a longer period of time to solicit grants from private foundations, the return on the time spent is far greater. It may only be, you know, maybe 10 cents of expense for every dollar that you can be awarded in private foundation grants. So again, you got to break it down and figure out, you know, the organization needs to understand where does it want to put its the resources that it is committing to fundraising um, uh, activities. Mm -hmm. And this is this is commonly referred to as you you mentioned it uh, in passing, Dean, as uh, cost to raise a dollar. What does it cost us to raise a, to raise a dollar? Um, the, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, confusion about or uncertainty about what to what to include in the costs. So, you know, you mentioned grants, Jerry. So, you know, you have a grants researcher and writer. So his, her or their, you know, direct cash compensation, all their benefits right you know that that's fair to lump in Absolutely. Uh, if, if i would say you know on individual fundraising all the all the major gift officers that you have all their direct cash all their comp usually is another 25 30 maybe 35 percent depending how generous you might be uh so you include their cash and their compensation um their benefits um but then beyond that you know what's what what's what's fair game to include that seems to be a lot of there seems to be a lot of open discussion about what belongs in there. What, well, uh, I would be asking the organization, what are you spending on marketing and advertising and where are you spending it? You know, okay. are you doing direct solicitations yeah. via either the old traditional mailing solicitations or are you using social media for doing solicitations? Are you meeting, you know, do you have gift officers who are meeting one-on-one -on -one with uh, potential contributors and what does that cost? You know, are you are you buying meals? Are you, 
you know, do you have, are you spending any kind of money on donor relations, you know, gifts or any any other, you know, what do you spend to acknowledge gifts and that mm-hmm. sort of thing? Mm-hmm. All of that needs to be considered. Yes, you're right. And a piece that's, that I've seen excluded that, that I would recommend not excluded is, is just the administration, administrative instru- infrastructure, because that fundraising department is going to use the finance and accounting team, is going to use the HR team, is going to use the, the IT team. So I don't, although I don't like the term overhead, it's overhead, is making sure that your fundraising area, all the people that you had mentioned, Tony, are also being attributed, the, they can't exist in a vacuum. They use the organizational resources in order to get their job done as well. So while you have all the direct costs that Jerry had mentioned and the staffing costs, there's also a, a, an infrastructure cost just to be a part of the organization that should be attributed to that fundraising as well. Okay, right. Uh, proportionally. Proportionally, yes. absolutely. Right. So, you know, finance, uh, 20% of finance's time may be uh, booking gifts. Let's say let's say finance books it and there's not a there's not a. Uh, uh, a, a data processor, you know, a data processing function in the fundraising team that finance attributes to 15 or 20 percent of its work to to the work of fundraising. So 15 percent of that financial overhead, that that finance team, that, like like that. Is that right? Is that you're yeah, absolutely right? And that ensures, especially if you receive grants and even specific, more specifically government grants, that ensures that you're not charging those finance costs, that 20 percent to a grant that that would would absolutely be it would be a contract violation if you were charging some of those fundraising costs to a funding source that says you know what that's not allowable you can't do that so it's making sure that those costs are identified appropriately and proportionately i like that term that you used to each of the areas that 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 finance or hr department serves okay and i think we 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 can't forget some of those easily forgettable costs you know think about how does money move these days? It's moving electronically and through credit card transactions and all of those have a cost. And again, those are often um, overlooked as part of your fundraising expense. You know, the cost to process all of those credit card gifts. Okay, yeah, fair, right. All the the backend, whatever apps you subscribe to, platforms that are supporting you. Whether it's Mailchimp on the mail side, or you know, Give Butter on the on the uh, on the donation <laughs> processing side, or you know, whatever. All right, all right, all right. So we got three. Any uh, what other other critical metrics for leadership? Management fundraising expense is another one we take a look at. This one can be sometimes controversial uh, because I think there's different uh, uh, ways on on assessing what. <laughs> Pardon me, what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, but that's really how much is the organization spending on management and administration, and we typically include fundraising in that, uh, in that overall, versus how much is it spending on programs, spending on on direct mission. Uh, And that really has a wide range, and it really depends on where the organization is at. So when I say wide range, at at the low end, I would say seven to nine percent, the very low end. So that means out of every dollar, seven to nine cents is going to support uh, finance or going to support management, administration, and fundraising. Um, anything lower than that would indicate to that you're probably not spending enough on your infrastructure. You might op- be operate a little bit like that, but 
but but you, it's it would be rickety. It's not yeah, sustainable. It's not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and then that can range all the way up to forty percent. Uh, and depending on where the organization at, could be higher, um, especially if it's a new organization uh, where you are spending on infrastructure to get it up and running. But once you approach forty percent or fifty percent then all of a sudden you're spending more or approaching to spend more on your management and administration than you're actually spending on the reason you're there is to is to achieve your mission and fulfill your vision. Um, and, and the reason why I say it's a little bit controversial is, is um, some funders still today see the lower number, the better. That's not always the case for the reason I just spoke about. Yeah. Uh, but part of it, whether number is right or not, it's more, making sure the organization and its leadership know what their number is and where it's tracking. Uh, Worked with a client the other week where um, theirs is in the 30, which is fine for their organization, but it's been tracking up over the last three years. And so I said, I don't know if I would put a, a, a red, you know, to use a color code, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have your, your indicator, your dashboard light blinking red yet, but it might be starting to glow a little bit yellow. It's saying, you know, keep an eye on this uh, and, and understand what those costs are, um, and if there's an opportunity uh, that uh, that needs to be addressed uh, or a challenge that needs to be addressed at some point in the future. Yeah, are these are these management and fundraising costs just creeping up, you know, unwittingly, or you know, on the flip side, there may be a conscious investment. Maybe, maybe we're investing in some administration and infrastructure for launch of a new program in eighteen months. So we're in, we're investing for the future, so it's intentional. But uh, uh, you know what's going on. What is the reason? And Tony, what you just said—that's the question board members need to ask. So if they're seeing these indicators creep up, like we've talked about, yeah. a responsive board needs to say why. And then it's the duty of management to know the story, to be able to explain why. Yeah. And then the board can say, okay, we get it. We understand we're backing it. We're behind you. Or it can also be the duty of the board to say, hey, stop one second here. Um, We need to discuss this further because we're not necessarily um, certain that what's happening in practice that we're okay with. So, So this one is a ratio, management and fundraising expense to program expenses. Yeah, well, to total expenses. You want to take it as a percentage of your total. Oh, to total. Oh, okay. Oh, to total. All right. Oh, because then, because then, what's left is devoted to program, presumably. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah. So Uh, another. So that I just want to make sure. You know, again, accounting for poets. So the (laughs) so the denominator there is that's your your annual your annual budget uh, total your your total expenses is everything. Is everything that's your that's your annual your annual budget, right? Right. It's your annual right. Operating. It's your annual budget. Yeah, your operating your okay. total operating budget, including all your program expenses. Absolutely. Right. right. Of course. Program. Yeah. All right. It's time for a break. Kila, increase donations and foster collaborative teamwork with Kila, the fundraisers CRM. Maximize your team's productivity and spend more time building strong connections with donors through features that were built specifically for fundraisers. A fundraiser CRM goes beyond a data management platform. It's designed with the unique needs of fundraisers in mind 
and aims to unify fundraising, communications, and donor management tools into one single source of truth. Visit Kila.co to sign up for a coming group demo and explore how to exceed your fundraising goals like never before. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Thank you, Kate. Oklahoma City, if you are near there, I'm going to be there in uh, November, from November 5th to the 8th. I'm speaking at the Sarkis Foundation Conference. If you're in Oklahoma, you may very well know the Sarkis Foundation. Uh, so if you're in the area, if you would like to get together, I don't know, coffee, lunch, drinks, let me know. Again, November 5th to 8th, uh, staying right in downtown. You can get in touch well, you could just use a simple email is the best way, tony at tonymartinetti.com. Uh, if you forgot my name, then you'll, you'll forget my email. So that's not going to work. Um, well, I guess you have to remember my name too to go to my site. If you want to use the contact page at the site, you'll have to remember my name again. Uh, it's Tony Martinetti and the site is tonymartinetti.com. So I guess one way or the other, well, if we're going to get together, it would be nice if you could remember who I am. I would, I'd, I'd be grateful. You know, uh, I'd be grateful. I promise to remember who you are. So one way or the other, get in touch. Love to get together with you if you are in the Oklahoma City area. And that is Tony's take two. Kate. Can you imagine like going out to meet with someone for coffee and they're just like, who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> just, just give me the free coffee. Who are you? I've, I know I've heard your name. I know I've heard your name, but right. And you're buying the coffee, right? What's, <laughs> what's, what's your name? You're, you're picking up the tab, right? Okay. No, you I'm sure that's here. not, I'm sure that's not going to happen. Giving people free coffee. Oh no, I'll pick up the check. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> that part, that part will happen. Yeah. Sounds good. If you're a listener, I'll buy you coffee. Sure. We've got Buku, but loads more time. Let's go back to financial literacy for your C-suite and board. Are there any so, other key metrics? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I would define this as a metric, but it is certainly something that should be paid attention to. And it's called the composition of your net assets. Mm -hmm. So in nonprofit organizations, net assets have to be divided in two buckets. One bucket is what you call your unrestricted or without donor restriction. And then you have a bucket that is with donor restriction. And it's really important to be certain that you understand what's in each of those buckets in total. So again, a risky situation for a nonprofit organization is if they, if they see that a very large percentage of their net assets are in the bucket with donor restriction. That means they have some, they are limited in what they can do with those net is assets. That, Jerry, is that essentially your endowment? It could be, yeah. Endowments would be with donor restriction. Right. Um, or we have the other category where, you know, a donor places some kind of what we call a temporary restriction on a contribution. So either it has to be used for a specific program that the donor has identified they want it used for, or there can be a time restriction where they say, I'm going to give you $300,000, but you that's to be used over the next three years. 
So now they've placed a time restriction on that contribution. So those have to be really carefully monitored. And this is one of the areas that we see so many nonprofits misunderstanding um, how to do that. Because what happens when you get money in the door, many nonprofits just deposit it all in the same yeah. bank account. So now you have one bank account that is that has your restricted and your unrestricted dollars commingled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you're not tracking that, the risk of spending those restricted dollars outside of what the donor's intent was is very high. Now, now you're getting into potentially illegal territory because so many of the states, maybe it's all, but many, many of the states have the have adopted the uniform. Yep. Uh, management uh, uniform prudent funds management act yes. for up uh, mifa uniform prudent management of institutional funds act right. or they've identified they've adopted either the 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 recommended uh, unified statute or or something similar to it and there are there are state laws around uh, how, uh, around only spending the way donors have told you that they want it spent that's absolutely correct. And that's what that is an, enorm an enormous risk. The other part that I find risky, I just um, was speaking with a group of, of board members and executive directors a couple of weeks ago. And I had an example that I wanted them to, to see if they could interact with it. In the, in the example that I gave them was fictitious, but that fictitious nonprofit had 90% of their net assets were donor restricted, were in that donor restricted bucket and only 10% unrestricted. And so my question was, how do you operate this organization on only 10% of your net assets? How can you operate? And you know, that's again something that that is not clearly understood. And so many mistakes are made in those areas and nonprofits potentially get themselves into very hot water, as you just described. I mean, that's going to show up, too, in, in another metric, like days of cash. It will. But days of cash might be like four. That's absolutely right. Um, and again, a mistake that many nonprofits make when they are calculating their days of cash, they're calculating all of the cash, not just the unrestricted. And we, we emphasize this with our clients over and over again. Let us help you calculate the days of cash, but we're just looking at the unrestricted. Yeah, because right, because there's a restriction on all the rest. Right. All right. All One right. other thing in terms you know, why this is important, and, and I have a client that relies heavily, heavily, heavily on um, private foundation funding. That's great, and they've been very successful at getting those sources of revenue, but they mostly come with restrictions. And so if a, if a nonprofit is putting an overemphasis on getting that kind of revenue and it's always restricted, they, they are handcuffing themselves because mm -hmm. that they're only allowed to spend that money on certain things. Mm -hmm. And then you have nothing left to pay for infrastructure or administrative or fundraising costs. You've got to, you know, you've got to balance out your unrestricted contributions in that okay. as well. You're not going to be able to. It's to be a strategic, strategic issue. There, there, it gets back to that duty of care. 
they're making a strategic miscalculation how they're pursuing funds. Yeah. As as valuable as the restricted funds are, you know, it's not like we're we're not discouraging no, seeking no. restricted fund. I do plan to giving fundraising. Some yeah. of those dollars are in trusts and and those yeah. trusts or even the wills, you know, occasionally, not not usually, but occasionally come with restrictions. It's devoted right. to you know, palliative care. It's devoted to the, the children's program, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so but those so those are valuable, but I understand the point of being very conscious of the the composition of yes. your net assets. The the what what you what again it's a ratio. What your what your unrestricted to restricted net assets look like and and are you hand hamstringing yourself? Yep. And another ratio uh it just to, to take on to it once you figure it out that composition yeah, you take a look at your liquid unrestricted net assets, and you look at that number against your total debt. So not only your current liabilities, but your total debt, and it really gives the board and the executive director. So it, it's often referred to as Luna, so liquid unrestricted net assets uh, to debt, and it really takes a look at how much do we have, how much we're we relying on ourselves versus how much are we relying on others to fund our operations. Um. And again, it's there's not necessarily well, I mean, there's a bad number. You don't want to be insolvent um, and have more debt than than un, than unrestricted net assets. But you, it's a number that that should be known within the organization. If you're, uh, and that should that number should be two or greater, so similar to the current ratio. All right, should, this is the liquid liquid unrestricted net assets. Yep. All right, let's break that down. All right, liquid. All right, we can. It's cash, or we can get it to cash easily. Yep. Unrestricted. Uh, Jerry and I were just talking about that. The restricted versus unrestricted. The composition of your net assets. Uh, net assets. All right. So it's it's not just liquid unrestricted net assets. So what, what's what's a non what's a non cash net asset? Isn't uh, to me that just sounds like cash. But well, it's, it must not be. Again. It, it isn't always just cash because yeah, what else could it be again if we if we remember the the basic formula that your assets are what you own the liabilities are what you owe and the difference are your net assets well in the, in the group of assets you can have all your fixed assets if you have a building that has a you've got that as a value in your assets so so that's an asset that could be flowing down into your unrestricted um net assets but it's not liquid it's not liquid, it's not liquid. Right. right right so you can only look at the liquid portion yep another great example would be wait wait, any... wait. Um, i got i gotta hold you off dean hold on hold that thought don't i don't want hold okay. hold the thought write it down if you need, i don't i don't want to miss your point but i don't understand what aside from cash what what else could be a liquid unrestricted net asset aside from cash um, if you've got, if you have any kind of investment funds that can be converted, if you are carrying any receivables, those okay. are usually okay. fairly liquid. Yeah. Right. You're expecting, yeah. yeah, you're expecting, right. You're expecting some grant or a receivable. Right. right. We, we all know what right. receivables are. Okay. Yeah. Those are your okay. basic liquid items. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Examples help. Again, accounting for poets. Okay. Um, go ahead. Dean, you were going to make a point. Oh, and then another thing that you should exclude on the current asset side are any prepaid expenses that the organization might have. And depending on the organization, 
that that might be significant. And prepaid expenses would be if you paid your insurance a year ahead of time, or if you had your website um, uh, uh, costs or other costs. Where software you, license software fees. license fees are a great one, where you pay for a year or two or three, and you write the check all at once. You've committed the check. But a gap says you have to record that as a prepaid expense and you only recognize that, let's say it's over a year time, you only recognize one twelfth of that expense over the year. So if there's a prepaid expense on your, on your balance sheet, you want to be, you'll want to exclude that from that calculation because that money is already out the door, even though it's okay. listed. Okay. We're getting a little into the weeds now. All right, we are. All right. Yeah. A we little bit. Right, that's about, you mentioned gap. I, I know, remind listeners what, what gap is? Otherwise, I got to put you in jargon jail. <laughs> <laughs> Generally accepted accounting principles. Yes, gap, and all you all can. your audits and all your statements are done under yeah. under yes. gap, under generally accepted accounting principles. They're signed to by the 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 firm that does the, the audit, audit or the financial statement or whatever. All under gap. All right, careful. Thank you now. for keeping me honest, Tony. <laughs> all right, yeah. All right, parole parole is parole comes easy. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you got to serve some time. It's not probation. It's parole. All right. All right. Fair um, okay. We we've identified five. Okay. I'm going to give you another. another we got another yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Have another one. So I'm going to start this out by saying that there is still misconception in many people's minds, whether they work in nonprofits or they they contribute to nonprofits, that the term nonprofit means the organization can't make any money. So I just want to start this out by saying that um, designation of nonprofit, that's a tax status. That's all it is. It's a tax status. It's not a business model. Is this misunderstanding still out there? Oh, oh, greatly out there. It's still out there. So the ratio that we, we want to communicate is we want to measure are you making any profit? <laughs> you know, do you have a surplus? We don't we don't necessarily use the term profit. We'll call it surplus. Um, and, and we want uh, especially boards to be concerned whether or not the organization is planning for through their budgeting process. Are you planning for a surplus? And in your actuals, are you actually making it? Are, are you getting there? And if you're not, there's a problem that needs to be addressed because this is all about sustainability. If the organization is not making a surplus, they can't sustain themselves or grow. And so we really look for a ratio of about, you know, a safe ratio is about 5%. I think that's what Mm -hmm. we're looking at now. 5% surplus on your net revenues. You know, so if you if you bring in a million dollars in revenue, we feel a safe place is is to be showing a, a fifty thousand dollar surplus on that. And if that's not happening, there needs to be a discussion why. Why isn't that happening? Now, I have worked with clients who have over many, many years, accumulated a lot of unrestricted net assets. And they may have a year where they are planning to have a deficit. And there's a reason that they're planning. They're going to invest in something new. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to commit some of their accumulated 
unrestricted net assets as an investment. That's okay. We're not saying that can't be done, but you can't live that way forever. Okay. Surplus, profit. Yeah, it it has that, to be there. It needs to be measured. That sounds like your that sounds like your investment capital. Absolutely. In, in, investment in new ventures, maybe uh a new whatever, uh, maybe a new staff position or two. I mean, that that's that's your growth, isn't that your growth money? It's your growth money. You're you're exactly right. And if nonprofits are not planning for that, yeah. There really is no standing still. If you're not planning for growth, you're actually planning for contraction. Yeah, because inflation is going to erode your it, it, erode you every year, three to five to eight percent, or you know, however bad it might be. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's it's just it's just bad business to say we 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 need a we it costs us a half a million dollars to run this organization each year, so we need to raise a half a million dollars. Right. We need to have a half million dollars of revenue of some <laughs> some sort. Right. No, five fifty or six hundred or six fifty. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it seems so um, intuitive, you know, like it should come simple. But again, in in I think Dean and I would both attest that in our experience with nonprofit clients is that is often overlooked. It's it's not discussed. So when we're presenting financial information, again, we don't have to give all, we don't have to go into the weeds and give the recipe for the soup of how we got there, but we better be showing and the board better be looking for, is there a surplus? Are we performing? Okay. And sometimes you're, you're pushed back on because people say that we shouldn't have a surplus. We should be spending everything we earn to help right. to help yeah. our community. We, we've got, right. we've got children going hungry. Everything we earn has to go to those kids. Right. And, and, the, and, uh, and, and it's not as prevalent as it used to be, but you know, that, that fear that if we Look have up. an audit that shows a surplus or we file a 990 tax return that shows a surplus, and the public is viewing that, that they're going to go nuts over it. Um, now, again, it's all relative. If if you brought in $2 million and you have a million dollar surplus, well, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit nuts about that. You know, why do you have a 50% yeah. surplus? <laughs> yeah. All right. You like to see at least 5%. We, we feel 5% is a safe target. Five percent of the net revenues for the from the year for the year. Yeah, yeah, we feel that's a safe, right. a safe starting place. Okay, you know the irony of some of this is that um, people look at these. I, I guess I'm I'm, I'm going to lump board members. I mean, you know, board members look at some some of these numbers and they they would run their business the same way. Those of those who are in business or have their own businesses, they would do the exact same thing. But but they don't. But they apply a different set of rules. To the nonprofit, no, it shouldn't have any growth capital. No, it shouldn't be able to invest. It should be spending every. We should be spending every dime we earn. But, but they wouldn't do that to their own family business. Right. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. What you say is so true, Tony. And and sometimes, you know, again, I think as a, an outsourced CFO, we find ourselves delivering that very message to the board challenging them on that 
that business model that they're that that they are purporting that the business model should be a zero bottom line and we we just push back and challenge that and and try to help educate why that's not a good business model you may be able to feed the kids this Pardon me? Yeah, right. And you you wouldn't, do that, in your own you wouldn't do that in your own business. You may be able to feed the kids this year and maybe next year, but wouldn't you like to be able to feed them five years from now? Correct. Well, you're on a trajectory that's going to make that very, very, very difficult. Right. Yeah. And to add on to that, and you alluded to this earlier, Tony, we were talking about tracking it over time. You say, are we, are we, is this metric or this uh, ratio improving, not improving, and or not improving? And where boards and leadership can really take it to the next level, where I'm going is establishing targets. What's important to your organization? And as a board saying, you know, we're at only at 20 days of cash on hand, let's establish a target of 50 days of cash on hand. And I'm making those numbers up and then reporting progress to your target. So similarly on a budget, on a financial budget, you put together your operating budget, you're evaluating how you're operating uh, during a year or a month but establishing targets for each of those ratios. And maybe it's all maybe it's all six that we talked about. Maybe it's two or three that are most important, but having that conversation and putting longer term plans, because you're not going to solve all the world's problems in a year, but having longer term plan and establishing a target and then measuring against that target. And are we achieving that? We're we not achieving that. What adjustments and why is that target is what it is and having that conversation and really tracking almost having like a, budget for the ratio or, you know, or a target for the ratio. Well, that's how these can become management tools. You're absolutely right. Management yes. and oversight. Yep. Yes, that that's exactly right. Um, and I agree with what Dean is saying, you know, really the kind of the next step is besides reporting these on a regular cadence, whether that's monthly or quarterly, start to look at the trend. You know, you need to build out trends. Um, so where, where were we? two or three years ago compared to where we are today. Have we made the progress that we said we wanted to make? And if not, why not? You know, do we need to change something about the style of how we operate the organization? You know, all of that becomes part of the conversation. And I think that it's possible for board members to get there with that part of the conversation if they are being provided financial reports that they understand Mm -hmm. that give them these snapshots, these dashboards that we've talked about so that they're not looking at pages and pages of numbers that make no sense. Give them something that, that they can make these assessments very easily and then have the discussion and decide what actions need to be taken. All right. So it sounds like we're we're comfortable with these six metrics. Yeah, I mean, and there's you know there are there are all kinds of other metrics, but these are you know when you talk about some of the common ones that really what we try to focus on, get boards to focus on, get executive directors to focus on is how can we help you measure the current financial condition and whether or not it's going to be sustainable. Is your organization, do you have the capability to be, to sustain three, five years down the road? Okay. So we're, we're confident in these six, we're not, we haven't left out anything critical, have we? I think we covered a lot of great bases. And one of the reasons why we reckon, why we, and like Jerry said, there are more, but 
all of these ratios, all of these data points, the beauty of these is these are publicly available from other organizations via their Form 990. 990 is informational return that all nonprofit organizations of a certain size are required to file, and it's publicly available information. So if you're ABC nonprofits and they're trying to set those targets or trying to understand and understand where they're at or how they're doing, say, hey, XYZ nonprofit across the street, let's see what they're doing. You can look at their 990 and calculate their ratios as well. And you can sort of evaluate and start to benchmark. Are, are we doing good in our sector? Are we not doing good in our sector? So while I would recommend, and I'm sure Jerry recommend is, is understand where you're at, um, understanding where your brother and sister nonprofits are at is also a great bellwether to say, hey, are, are we doing well? Are we not doing well? with our peers in the organization. And it's all publicly available information uh, for other nonprofits as well. All right. Okay, leaving it there then? Dean? Yeah. Jerry? All right. Martin and Lewis. Dean, <laughs> Dean Dizel. You'll find him on LinkedIn. Jerry Frick. Also on LinkedIn. Their firm is at veracitypros.com. Dean, Jerry, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank You're you, welcome. Tony, thank you, Tony. It's really a pleasure. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Listeners, I would like you to know that we had another show where we, we talked about a book devoted to board member financial literacy, and that was the May 31st, 2021 show with Andy Robinson and Nancy Wasserman. Their book is the board members easier than you think guide to nonprofit finances. So if you want to dive deeper into this, maybe buy a copy for each of your board members. Uh, that's a, a just a, a, a further resource beyond this uh, excellent conversation that uh, Dean and Jerry and I just had. Next week, the surprising gift of doubt from the archive with Mark Pittman. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. Don't forget that name, Tony Martinetti. Or no coffee for you. <laughs> We're sponsored by DonorBox. Outdated donation forms blocking your supporters' generosity? DonorBox. Fast, flexible, and friendly fundraising forms for your nonprofit. DonorBox.org. I still love that alliteration. Fast, flexible, friendly fundraising forms. All right, sorry. And by Kila. Grow revenue, engage donors, and increase efficiency with Kila, the fundraiser's CRM. Visit Kila.co to join the thousands of fundraisers using Kila to exceed their goals. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your associate producer, Kate Martinetti. This show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. This music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Please go out and be great. <laughs>